You're listening to a podcast from www.aussiewriters.com.au where we celebrate talented Australian writers and their books. Okay, we're at the Jugion Writers Festival and I have an amazing privilege to interview Biff Ward today. Welcome, Biff. Hi, Suzanne. I've actually read a few newspaper articles about your book and I was very aware of this book. It's uh, long-listed for the Stellar Awards and it's a book called In My Mother's Hands and it's a powerful, powerful book. And I thought, Biff, we could start off with perhaps you reading a bit from the book and then we'll talk about what it's about. Oh, okay. How does that sound? That sounds good. Something so, a little bit different. So this is the prologue, this is the, the very beginning, which I guess in a way is designed to make the reader interested. <laughs> there is in my family a grave that was never visited. When I was a child, I knew that somewhere over several hills in another part of Sydney, there was a cemetery where the baby had been buried buried and left. My parents never went to it as far as I knew, and the one time I tried to, I was quickly put right. I was eight and home from school with a cold. My mother and I got talking about the baby who died before I was born and about the grave. It wasn't that far away. It was actually close enough to visit, so we became excited, my mother and I, about going to the grave. Do you want to take flowers, she said. Can we? Oh, yes, I answered. Violets. I wanted to make a bunch, a pom-pom of purple flowers surrounded by shiny green leaves. The perfect posy, the kind men sold on street corners in those days, an offering suitable for a baby. And there were violets growing in our backyard. My mother's clever fingers held the stems together while I tied them with a ribbon. When I held what we'd made in my hand, it was almost as I pictured it. We walked together, collected Mark from the infant school, and then waited across the road for Dad, watching the big boys stream out of the high school building. We waited to surprise him. Dad, I called, look, I've got flowers. He crossed the road, his face a mix, delighted to see us so unexpectedly. Perplexed as to why we were there, his little family, waiting in a bunch, he stepped onto the footpath. We're going to see the grave, my mother said. She was smiling, her lips all wobbly. As he took it in, he glared at her and thunder broke over our heads. Don't be bloody ridiculous, he snapped. Don't be mad, he added, turning his back resolutely against the direction where the tram lay. We're going home. And he took her arm with his knuckles white and turned us back towards Avenue Road. We set off, a silent troop, my violet posy drooping, pointing to my trudging feet. That night at tea, Dad ate his soup without a word. We all watched, waiting for a sign, something that would explain, something that would bring him back. He left the table and went to his desk, and stayed there instead of reading to us like he usually did. Next day, I didn't hold his hand on the way to school. I joined up with some other kids, 
and we walked behind him, the tall figure with the battered brown kit bag holding a class full of English essays and his lunch of tomato sandwiches. As it turned out, I didn't get to see the grave until 40 years later. That's quite an intriguing opening and doesn't prepare the reader at all for what an enormous journey this book is. I hope that you prepare them a bit. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think it entices them to read it. But what I'm saying is the surprise in reading the book and about what an amazing journey that the book has taken. It's a must-tell story. And it's one of those stories where you're passing it forward and I would imagine that book will make such a big difference to many, many people. Well, I do have a big commitment uh, to telling mental illness stories. I've been involved in that movement and the belief that it is the personal stories of lived experience of mental illness that educate best. I think the same is true in disability and a lot of other fields, but mental illness is the one that I'm, I know about. And um, it's not the reason I wrote the book. I wrote the book because this personal story in my own life just... It must have been therapeutic to write the book, well, actually. Yes. Or, or was it very, very difficult? Yes, yes and no. Um, I did 23 years of therapy on what I grew up with. And three weeks after I finished, there was a session where I went, this is my last session. It was just suddenly terribly clear. And three weeks later, I started writing. In fact, i have been playing around with this book because I've been a writer for a very long time. I've been playing around with it for 20 years and thinking about how I might do it. But when I finally did start doing it, that was, that was the moment and I didn't stop. I just wrote and wrote and wrote. Uh, lots of therapists, one of my clients has written a book about um, anorexia because she, and she wrote it as a diary from the mental ward in the hospital and her therapist suggested she writes it and uh, she's fully recovered but you know the journey was was horrific and nearly lost her and it's that therapeutic journey many years later she, she wrote the story and and even though it had been many years the journey was still quite painful for her. Well, I think because I'd done those 23 years of therapy, it wasn't. It was just it a joy to write. So Is it like letting go? Well, I, I love writing. It's my great passion. And, and right. I haven't. I wrote a book 30 years ago and then it's sort of been invisible that I was in between because right. I, I was earning my living doing other things. Well, let me take you back to when you first started writing. Tell me about your very first book that you wrote? Oh, the first book, well, there's only been two books, sorry. The first book is called Father Daughter Break, and it was one of the first books in the world on child sexual abuse. And it's really, it's a feminist analysis, that makes it sound boring, but I don't think it's that boring. Um, a feminist analysis of all the literature from Freud in 1896, when he invented the yes. complex to explain yes. away child sexual abuse. Yes. From then through to 1980, which is when I was writing it, and um, all of that literature, it's all clinical, it's all psychiatrists or criminologists, basically, and all of it about sexual abuse of girls in the family, which is what I was looking at, except my definition of family was quite broad. By father, I meant 
uh, any trusted male adult. Yes. So grandfathers, yes. uncles, teachers, the whole lot. And they say that most, of, I don't know much about it, but um, from what I've read, they say that most of the rapes do occur within family. 75%. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. It's um, amazing. So it's not just stranger danger. So, so that's, that's what I was writing about. And that came about through meeting a family in a refuge who were escaping from that. And it was the first time. That was back when people, it was never mentioned. No, it was taboo, just, it was wasn't it? Everything taboo. was taboo. And, yeah. and, um, yeah. But this family came and said, this is the reason we're here. And it involved a, a 17-year-old stepbrother and there's two young girls. And that's what they were escaping from. And I tried to, I thought, oh, I can deal with this. And, and then I found I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't. So I went to the library thinking, somebody must have worked this out sometime. And what I found instead, no one at that point in time had worked it out. There was just all this incredible literature which blamed always the mothers and the daughters. It's and the worst, it, the worst it ever said about the offenders was that they had poor impulse control. So so haven't we come a long way in those decades? <laughs> One would hope. Yes, we have. Yeah, yeah. You know, what jobs did you do after you I left went school? straight to university. Yes. Which I, know, I don't recommend, but it was okay. In Armadale, where I lived, and my father was working at the university. He was an actor. And then I got... Well, that's actually a bit of a spoiler, if I tell you too much, because it's in the book. I got, oh, right, right. I got pregnant and married and went off to England, but right. how and why that happened is yes. sort of part Let of the story of okay. my family. Okay, <laughs> don't give away, don't, don't spoil it. <laughs> so the, the actual writing of this book came about when the therapy finished. Yes. Um, did you find that... Um, how many years of therapy did you say you had? 23. 23? Yeah. And you would... Um, Obviously, you would um, recommend that people going through horrific situations in their family lives get therapy. Well, does it make a big yes difference? Yes and no, and it's also in my book. There are various points at which I tried to work with somebody. This is about in my forties. Yes, and uh, I got told things like, "Well, your story is too unnatural. I can't work with you. Or, this is too weird. Or this is too hard." So. And I've met, um, I met a schoolgirl a few years ago when I was doing this education who talked to me about her dealing with her father's schizophrenia. And she was, because things have changed now, she was seeing a counsellor. But she said to me, I said, how, how does that go? Is that, she said, well, she can't cope with the things I want to talk about. And I thought, oh, well, that's still happening. So, yes, therapy's a really good thing, but my advice is you have to find the right person or the right system of therapy. With me, it's a system. Um, you have to find one where your story can be dealt with and it's okay because to be told it's too much or you're unnatural is just compounding the Absolutely. hurt and the damage. It's horrendous. It would be very damaging. Yeah. So, so obviously you did find someone who yeah. found could a help. system and then yes. eventually I went to an analyst. But... A big part of my book, a big theme, is about secrets, family secrets, and how when there's no language to talk about something, it of course gets acted out through our psyches and our bodies, and um, how damaging that is, and that it's always good to have words, to find language for things. And you said something about me putting this story out there. One of the things I've noticed as I've been doing bits of publicity and so on is that 
um, when I talk about family secrets, often people stay in the room and there's all this noise starts happening. And I go over and say, what's going on? They say, oh, we've just un un taken the pin out. We're all telling our family secrets, you know, so which Isn't I think is fantastic. I think, I think that's a gift of the book and I think that's... That's where the author's gift is the most most precious, isn't it? Because you're unwrap, unwrapping something that other people are not willing to unwrap, you know, and yet it's a gift. And everyone actually wants to talk about these things. Mm. And, you know, to a certain extent, um, I know with mental health it's always an issue that, you know, they compare if you, you've broken your leg, it's okay to get, get help, but, in, you know, we're trying to lift that that veil of, 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 you know, the stigma around mental mental illness. And the fact is that um, there aren't many families that you can go into that are, that are squeaky clean and don't have secrets and don't have hurts and going back generations. Yeah. And I know that the generation before us, your parents' generation and my parents' generation, um, you, just, you just put up with stuff. Women did just put up with stuff because there were no choices. You didn't. You, you, divorce was frowned upon, and, and women were well. There was no not in power. There was no so, single parent benefit either. No, no. So financially, you were trapped. I'm just wondering with um, the mental illness that is in the book. I'm trying not to give away much, <laughs> but. How have you dealt with this? You've obviously revealed a lot of things in your own family. And how have your family members reacted to that? Well, my parents yeah. were both dead by the time I yes. sat down to write. And do you I, think that was essential for you to be able to write yes, that? Yes, probably. Yeah. I was very close to my dad and adored him, but I think it would have been too painful for him. Um, he actually sent me a message after he died by someone else that's really relevant to the central question in the story, like, in fact, the baby in the grave. Yes. Um, my brother, whom I grew up with, just the two of us, um, he's 17 months younger than I am, he not only was happy about it, he was my cheer squad through the that's whole wonderful. thing. He just is incredibly pleased that I've done it. That's he feels, I think he feels like it's his book as well. He, he, he made a, he's an artist, he made a bookmark that goes with the book. <laughs> oh, that's a beautiful story. Oh, I love that. That's and, really um, wonderful. I'm very lucky in that because I've heard yes. lots of other memoirs talk about family disagreements and so on. And, and then Mark corrected the make of the car that I had for my first wedding. Right, <laughs> right. The little details. But, but you yes. know, really nothing. And all... It, when you read the book, there's some of the stories I recount I'd actually kind of forgotten. But as soon as he reminded me, oh, yes, I remember. Yes. So, so he contributed literally to some of the accounts. But what what was clear was because I had him to monitor, as it were, it's that while there are some incidents in there he wasn't present for, or he had different takes mm -hmm. on. He agreed absolutely on the tenor 
the feeling that the, the main picture I draw, he mm. just says, yes, mm. that was it. That That's was right. It. Well, it wasn't, it's not so, in the detail, it's the overall, the overall effect of everything, isn't it? There, there's wider family than that too. My dad had a second family, so we've got younger brothers and sisters, mm. and they they didn't live through this, but mm. and they adored my dad like we did, mm. but they are very interested in knowing what he was like when he was a younger man, because they only knew he was an older man. So they have a lot of questions. They're, they're sad that they all lived through the sad time, but they, you know, so they had a lot of interest. And then there's my children, my brother's children. You know, How do on. your children? Well, a mixture, a mixture. Yes. So I won't go into too much of it. My eldest daughter, when she read the very first draft, said many things, but the first one was, thank you, thank you for, you know, writing a story of our family back for three generations, and there's a kind of um, healing in that, and that's what she was saying, she was saying thank you for doing that. The most powerful books are the ones that are the hardest to write, I think. (laughs) Um, I'd like to ask you about having written such a such a, a meaty book, such a such a significant book. Where do you go from there as a writer? Are you going to write something frivolous next? Oh no, I don't think, I don't think I'm a frivolous person. I wish I was. Could be more frivolous. Um, I as I finished the editing stuff and went off to the printer, as it were, with Alan and Unman, I um, I got out a manuscript that I had in a bottom drawer in a box there for about 12 years, and that's something I was working on 15, 18 years ago, which I am now writing, and it's going to turn into a book this time, and it's a Well, memoir. it's well fermented. <laughs> yes. It's a memoir of my relationship to the Vietnam War. Right, right, and, um, okay. So, I think that, this, so this is, this is your, uh, someone who's been, who went to Vietnam, I'm assuming. No. No? Oh, right. Oh, okay. This is in, in the... Not um, during the war. Not during the war. No, right. during the war I was an a incredibly passionate and involved protester. I was sort of a major organiser. So it just filled up all my days. I had young children, job, family, life, but, but Vietnam was what it was all about. I was one of those people. So I'm writing about that period. And then... Somehow in that period, I I conceived this absolute um, kind of fascination. It was like, you know, something got cast into my soul right. to know what the country was really like. This place that I was so focused on, yes. the people in it, and yet I'd never been there. All we saw were images of war, with with the jungle and the rice fields in the background. Yes, yes. But I just got this of an obsession, what is it really like there? And then the country closed down completely, no one could go there. Yes. When it opened up again, 15 years later, I went there, 95 I first went there, I've been there nearly every year since, right. and um, I also started to read all the literature that was then existed about the Vietnam War, and it's just gone on and on. But the literature I was really interested in that grabbed me was the soldiers' memoirs, veterans yes. as we've come to call them, of course, mm. Australians and American books. Mm. And I then went and found some veterans, met some veterans, which I've never done, 
and uh, did a whole lot of interviews and they just opened their doors and hearts to me, this particular group I met. Yeah. And um, I got to interview a lot of veterans, several of whom at the end of a two hour interview would be sobbing and say, I've never told that story before. And I'd say, how come? And they say, nobody else ever asked. And in fact, when I probe into that, sometimes people did ask, like over the barbie, how was it then? But then they listened for half a minute and to sit down for however long it takes and really want to know every detail is, is different. And then, um, so I'm, and, and I'm telling, in this book, I'm telling a story of one particular veteran who is now dead, but he was the most charismatic person I've ever met. He was completely mad, yes. completely energetic, completely brilliant, incredible yes. intellect, yes. Um, very working class, uneducated upbringing, like he's an incredible mixture. Everyone who ever knew him goes, oh, him. Yes. Um, and his wife and sister have opened the doors to me and telling me all the stories. So, so I'm you've woven to tell the story around Ray's him. story and mine and, and um, my love of the country all together yeah. somehow. That sounds really, really wonderful. So I think um, I think it's extraordinary that you you uh, you have hit the ground running with really, really significant books. Not many authors do that. So obviously you're a writer from the start. I love writing and I think you just have to be old enough and then you've got the stories to tell. <laughs> got to get them done. There is something about wisdom for our age. That's true, true. I think that um, I would never go back to be a teenager, that's for sure. <laughs> it's good to know what we know by now. So, Biff, are you... Um, do you have a, a current partner or no, or no but you, you were married children and you were you writing when you were married at that I did write a bit early, back then yeah. but mostly articles in the women's movement and I just yes, I I've, I have written a lot in my so life sort but of, not really focused mm, until now recently. I just went as I was retired. It's the right working, time. I just went, No, I can do it, I can do it. Yes. And I have for the last thirty years been in a writer's group or nearly constantly, yes. gone to workshops, you know, really going, the skills. going to yeah. writing festivals and listening to people who's writing my life and really being, yeah, training myself. That's up. an important thing for our emerging writers to know that, and I've noticed with all of the interviews with authors today, is that people keep learning. They yeah, keep they absolutely. keep developing their skills and honing their skills. It's, it's vital. And, and being in a good writing group, which I was on a panel just now talking about, um, is a great way to learn those skills because it's not just getting feedback on your writing but you're having to give feedback and really, you know, we, the group I'm in now has been meeting for just over eight years and we, we're just, we, there's a phase of going, oh, haven't we developed so much and learned so much? Yes, you know, yes. And you are learning all the time. We had an incredible discussion yesterday about Use of commas and full stops. And <laughs> you never know it's what you're going to Very talk interesting. Marion Halligan told told us that um, that she's so particular about punctuation. Punctuation is to do with intent and personality. And when her editor takes a, a, a comma out, she'll fight. 
<laughs> if it's changed the meaning, her intended meaning, she'll yeah. fight over it. So yeah, it's yeah. very true. Isn't I agree. It? It's those, those little things yeah. that make a big difference. So, Biff, tell me what you, you enjoy reading. What have you been reading lately? Well, having been long listed for the Stella, I've been reading some of the other, the 12. Um, when I will you know about to, that? Um, the shortlist next week and um, the final thing is on the 21st of April. Wonderful. Well, we're very much um, in there for you. We'll <laughs> keep our fingers crossed. So I read a lot of fiction, which is, I guess is a bit interesting given that I'm writing what's called non-fiction, but I'm, I've always loved fiction and I see now that what I'm doing is I write my non-fiction with the techniques of fiction. So I'm trying to create a scene and bring it alive so the person feels like they're there. You know, that's, that's so so it's, it's, it's like faction, isn't it, really? You've got your facts there, but yeah. you, you, you fictionalise it all or, or yeah, make it it's, it's, it's about bringing it alive. Yes. Fictionalising, bring it alive. So through setting, mm. the sense of the characters, mm. a bit of dialogue, whatever it takes mm. to, so people feel like, Oh, I've been in your family. You know, like some people are saying, I feel like I know you really well now. Well, that's family. the joy of being a writer, yeah. isn't it? People you've never seen before think that they're quite intimately connected to you. <laughs> Someone said it this morning. I said, I'm sorry, I have to say I don't know you at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's forgivable too, you know. <laughs> it happens. Yeah. But they know you now. That's the important thing. Um, Biff, so you've been reading some of the other Stella Awards, um, which... Well, I'll just talk about one. I really loved um, Sonia Hartnett's Golden Boys. I just think the way... What's that about? Well, it's about... I don't know what date it's... I I don't think there's a time that is specified, but it's about an Australian street and the kids in the street and how they're interacting. And then there's two particular families, you know, in terms of the parents and so on. That come into it a bit and their relationship and opinions of each other and so on. And um, but this, it, she just creates that world of kids in the street, mostly boys, but a lot of it's told through the voice of a slightly old girl. Right. Um, I just think she creates that world, of, and embedded in that is our sense as the reader. Of what is happening to each of these kids individually, and who they're going to turn out to be. You know that that psychic formation that happens in childhood. It's very clever. It's clever incredibly clever. And I love I love reading that a book like that. I quite like William McInnes's growing up stories mm. in Australia. I oh, can relate so to that. He's so funny, yeah, isn't he? Yeah. He's quite kind of entertaining <laughs> as well. But um, but I think. Certainly for the older readers, and my goodness, there's a, there's a lot of us <laughs> in our generation. Um, those memories. History suddenly takes a, a front seat as you get older. Yeah. And I think Australia's come of age, I think, I think around the 2000 Olympics, we started to have a sense of history. And it seems to me that it's incremental, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, it's been an iterative process for a long time, and now it's gaining momentum. And so I think... I think the stories of, of our growing up are becoming more and more important. It's interesting when you talk to a young woman today, and uh, and I've heard comments like, you know, I'm I'm no women's leader. And they usually I, I, say but. 
but but I believe in this and that and the other girl. However, however, I love to I love to turn around and say to them, you know, the reason why you can't see a problem is because there was a weakness, <laughs> and that's what they don't really realise. I think where we've come from, so the history is so important. So I'm very much looking forward to your next book. I think that will be wonderful, and certainly we must read in my mother's hands. Um, it's a story about some issues and um, mental illness and a family and how they coped and uh, a very personal and intense journey but I think it makes a statement and I think it's certainly um, getting rave reviews. I've seen articles in the, in the newspaper. I've read all about you before you came. So um, I'd highly recommend you get it uh, available online. And it is online. And, and in bookshops. Bookshops everywhere. In my mother's hands before. Thank you very, very much um, for sharing all of this with us. I'll just ask one question as we finish. A new writer... An emerging writer who wants to write um, biography, what would you, what advice would you give them? Well, if by biography you mean the whole area of life writing, so it might be autobiography, that's but memoir, whatever, memoir. I'd say a really good exercise to do quite early on is to start with the sentence stem, what I don't want to write about is, wow. dot, 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 and then just keep writing, just keep going. Because the the power is all about, you know, the things that are difficult. That's where the power is. That's brilliant advice. I haven't heard that before. It's very original and I love it. I can borrow it, (laughs) definitely. Thank you very much, Biff Ward, and um, good luck with your book tour. Thanks, Suzanne. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from www.aussiewriters.com.au. And if you are a reader or a writer, then hop on over to our website and subscribe.